0: Good evening, yet again, my friends. How has it been with you? How have you been? Have you been waiting here, in my forest, or visiting occasionally here and there without me? Or have you got a forest of your own? Or maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe it's a palace. Maybe it's a garden. Maybe it's a beach. I'd like to see it, if only. But this is my place, covered in snow as it is, asleep and waiting for the sun to return, watching the moon roll over the frozen lake, resting until it is time to grow once more, Listening carefully for ghosts or spirits or creatures to whisper words of wisdom or want to it. Within it. This is my place. I asked a terrible question to my cards. I don't know why. I think I've just felt so stuck. So empty. So unhaunted. Ah, what a curse. I wish I was haunted again. I wish I had stars in my eyes. I want to return to my magic. To my wild and willing and willful heart. So I asked my cards. Ah, foolish, foolish thing I am. How do I find myself again? To think they could possibly know the answer to such a thing, it is hardly a question. It is a decadent, self-pitying lament. It is lack of work. It is unwillingness to search. But the searching is everything, isn't it? I shuffled, and I drew, the ace of pentacles, Reversed. Quite fair. Quite interesting. The ace of pentacles, when upright, is opportunity, abundance, manifestation. Manifestation of opportunity and abundance. Those are three very, very good, very, very alluring words, aren't they? Manifestation. Manifestation. Opportunity, abundance. So reversed, what is this ace? Missed chances, instability, misplanned ventures. Now, depending on the question, this can have a few different meanings, of course. But overall, this reversed card advises us to take care, be cautious. Look before leaping, especially into new ventures. So perhaps one way to look at this, since I asked how do I find myself again, perhaps one way to interpret it is that I must take care on my journey to find my power, my magic. Certainly we must all. But this card has another meaning. It may ask us to consider why it is we want to leap into some new venture, some new opportunity. For it may be that selfish purposes drive us to unfulfilled wishes. Selfishness is a kind of foolishness, too. If our reasons for wanting a thing are greedy and self-serving, they will surely fail, on some level or other. I think this card asks us to remember what it is that drives us truly and what we really desire. So perhaps I can find my strength, my spirit, the thing that has been driving me for 178 stories, 178 conversations with you, my friend, by remembering how it spoke to me, how it found me in the darkest and strangest of times. I remember how peaceful I was in the midst of chaos. I remember how silent the air around me was, as I was so sure of my purpose. And in truth, I am still sure of it now. I always am. It's just that sometimes my wants for other things, more earthly trinkets, higher towers or stronger cottages, more ghosts to wander these woods with me. Sometimes all this other stuff gets in the way. I must breathe. I must be patient. I must let myself find myself again. I will wait here for me to come back. In the meantime, I have a story for you. A story about another woman who lost herself through pursuing other things she wanted much less. Let's see if she finds herself again as I hope to do. Let's see. She was a greedy woman. I tell stories about greedy people because I think that's a great place to start. Start with the most lost people of all. And I think the greediest are the most lost. So let's start with this greedy woman. She was quite wealthy. And that was all that she needed in order to have power over others in her world. Her house was full of servants whose diligence and skill went unnoticed. She paid top price for the best staff, after all, so she expected the best. Her house was so large and extravagant that she no longer wondered at its beauty and decadence. She had paid for it all so easily that it seemed barely remarkable at all. Her horses were rare and elegant, and the most well-trained in the continent. But they might as well have been farm donkeys, for how seldom she came to visit them in their gilded stables. She had once fought very hard for her wealth, having desired it so. She worked, she clawed, she lied, she fought. But that was so long ago. Another person ago. In fact, she didn't remember anything before that. She wandered into a city with no belongings and no money, and where she had come from before that was a mystery, even to her. Her memory was gone. But good riddance. If it had left her with nothing, then her past wasn't worth remembering. All she knew after that was that she wanted to have things shining things, golden lovely things, gemstones, riches, jewels, coins, pearls, silks, houses, horses, servants, all of it. She fought hard for it, and she got it. It's not worth discussing how, but it is worth mentioning that she had some kind of luck, some kind of good fortune, some kind of magic on her side. For all her greed, she seemed charmed somehow, and those she encountered bent to her will so easily. It only took time, and time she had in abundance. She had the gift of youth, of energy, and of patience. And she developed her charm indeed. Something in her eyes, something in her voice. Something that tricked, that manipulated, that deceived, that conquered, surprisingly easily. All the great things she could have done with that, if she had any other goal besides material gain. She never stopped to ask why she had such a gift. When one is fighting and clawing and working so very hard, one only has time for the doing of it. And that is why I am not judging her, or criticizing her. Not even when I call her greedy. Sometimes people become what they feel they need to become to survive. And so it was with her, for a time. But then there always comes another time, whether it is in famine or in feast, when one ought to pause, recalibrate, recenter find oneself again she refused so one night something came and found her she was in her soft fine bed twisting and turning unable to sleep for the hollow want in her soul there were no candles lit in her room But the way the waning moon was shining in through her window, illuminating the dust, made it seem that it was brightly lit by dozens of little silver fireflies. She heard something at the window a kind of buzzing, a little pecking, something small, almost like a needle tapping against the glass. She stood and went to the window and she couldn't tell exactly what it was but its wings were beating so quickly and the sound it made was so musical and full of vibration that she thought it must be a hummingbird. A hummingbird visiting her in the middle of the night so high up and so far from the flowers. It wanted to come in For the first time in years, the wealthy woman felt wonder and a little hint of something else, something a little dangerous and curious. So she opened the window. The thing flew at her immediately, directly at her face, and she held her hands up to defend herself. A swirl of feathers and dust and vibration all around her overtook her, the moonlight growing and sparkling and the room changing, growing. But the room was not growing. She was shrinking, growing smaller and smaller and smaller, until she was just the size of a bean standing on the floor. Little heart racing, pounding, and she screamed. No one can hear you, a voice said, answering her shriek. She whirled around, and before her was a creature. He wore robes of a shimmering, dark green. They went up to his neck and trailed behind him on the floor which meant they must be quite long, for he hovered above the ground. This was because he had two huge wings, covered in feathers of that strange, shining green, the iridescent green of a hummingbird's wings. They beat so rapidly, they seemed to be moving not at all. And this was slow for them, for he wasn't traveling. He was standing still, watching her. Or at least she thought he was. It was hard to tell, for he wore a huge mask over his head, black and shining like wet, freshly polished rock. It had a long, pointed beak and two curling horns. She could not tell if he was decked as a bird or a dragon. Perhaps he was a bird or a dragon. Who are you? What do you want? I can give you anything, just return me as I was and leave my home at once. She said, her voice panicked, yet still retaining its distaste and haughtiness it usually held. (laughs) The creature laughed at her. Hands with long, black gloves that were tipped with long, black claws reached at her, swift as a breeze, and caught her by the arms. And she was up and out the window, the cold night air stinging her eyes, her skin, her throat, her nostrils. It will not be a long journey, the creature said coldly, noting her discomfort. Where are you taking me? She cried out against the wind. He did not answer. She struggled against his claws, she kicked her legs as hard as she could, and eventually she wrestled her way out of his grip. But horror of horrors, now she was falling free-falling through an empty sky that was now so much bigger to her. She closed her eyes. Was all her wanting, all her fighting, all of it, done? She fell luckily with a splash into what seemed to be a large pond. A pond with dark, green, murky water. In the darkness she could not see anything, except when the moon peeked out from behind clouds, sending rays of light passing through the water. And when that happened, she could see, there under the water, moving towards her, appearing in the light and disappearing in the darkness, then reappearing again even closer to her, a shadow swimming in the water. Languid, until it noticed her, then moving more quickly. Large fins on a large body, barbels hanging from its head like whiskers. A catfish, but to her, the size of a blue whale. She swam as quickly as she could to the bankside, but the creature was gaining on her. She didn't stand a chance, but she hadn't spent so long surviving only to stop trying now. When something clutched her round the waist, three large, finger-like things, and it ripped her out of the water and into the frigid air once more, she looked up and saw a great bird. It must have been an eagle, a huge eagle but then she realized it was a swallow. She was so tiny, after all. The thing jerked its head to and fro, looking for a place to land and enjoy its meal. She bit its claw, and it dropped her to the ground, into the snow, where her tiny body shivered, and she felt a horrible freeze starting from the tips of her fingers and her toes crawling up her limbs. But something then started to drag her. It grabbed her long, curling hair in its teeth, and it pulled her slowly and steadily through the snow. She could not see what it was, for she was sure her eyes were frozen. But she heard the scurrying of little feet. She heard a snuffling sound, and she could feel a wiry, hairless tail guiding her body this way and that as the creature dragged its prize down a dark, earthen hole in the ground. Though the darkness was awful and the smell of the damp earth made her think of being buried alive, it was warm here. She was dragged through a tunnel for what felt like hours, even when she felt she could stand... The creature kept taking her down and down and down to a chamber. She knew it was a large empty chamber, for she heard an echoing drip, drip, drip here. There was a tiny stream of light here too, like in the water, like in her bedroom, a ray of moonlight creeping in from a hole the size of a pinprick. With only that little light, she saw the creature who brought her here scurrying away, squeaking, nose twitching, heading out through the tunnel it came in, suddenly terrified. Why terrified? She heard a heavy breathing behind her, a sniffing, but a slower, deeper snuffling than the mouse who brought her here. And it was high up from the ground, a tall thing, much taller than she, though she remembered again that she was only the size of a bean. She turned around and saw a frightful thing, covered in fur pink hands with little claws grasping at the air. It had no eyes. It had no ears. It had a long, terrible snout. Whiskers on its nose. Whiskers on its head. Whiskers where eyes and ears ought to be. She wanted to scream. She almost screamed but something in the back of her mind told her, it cannot see you, don't be foolish. It leaned in, right to her face, sniffling, but unable to find her somehow. Perhaps it was all the expensive perfume. Perhaps it disoriented the thing. Perhaps it was the smell of the mouse, the smell of the swallow. The smell of the pond. But it did not attack. She was distracted for a moment by something sparkling. A little bit of light. A reflection of that little moonbeam. Only it was red. And then a little bit of blue. And a bit of gold. And green. This place was full of jewels, of treasure. Did this mole even know what it had? They're beautiful, she couldn't help but whisper, looking at the jewels. After all, greed was her weakness, and she was dazzled by these jewels. Surprisingly, Unlike every other animal she had encountered so far, the mole growled. If you remain here with me, if you stay with me, and sing to me, and comb my whiskers, then they are yours. She gave it one night. She stayed with him. She sang to him. She combed his whiskers. That was only the price she paid to stay in this chamber, though. She really spent her time staring at the twinkling gold, the sparkling diamonds, the depth of the rubies. She was dazzled at first, and she wanted them. But after a few hours... Their size and magnificence began to grow boring. Why so? She asked herself. Gems and trinkets this size would have made me swoon before. Was this not what I wanted? And then she realized it. It was not the gems she loved. It was not the riches that she truly wanted. It wasn't even the comfort and the security that they brought with them. It was the fighting. It was the clawing. It was even the lying and the tricking and the... the utter mischief of it all. She felt something in that moment, in her spine, or rather on either sides of it. A horrible pain. A burning kind of itch. She had remembered. She remembered it all. Everything. Everything from before the moment when she arrived in that city with nothing to her name. She had once had. Wings. Of her own. She suppressed a groan. Then a moan of pain, and finally an agonized shriek. She suppressed it all, as the mole was there with her still, asleep in a pile of gold coins. Tears streamed down her face as hollow bones grew very slowly from her back. It took hours. Hours of that bone growing, the skin stretching, the feathers pushing themselves forth. But she soon had a pair of iridescent, green wings of her own. Though blood poured down her back, and though she thought she might go mad from the pain, there they were. She thought about killing the mole for fun. She thought about stealing his treasures. She thought about tying him up and mocking him. But he had, after all, kept her warm and safe for a night, and asked only for a little companionship. And so she thought better of it. She simply flew up, up, up towards that pinprick of light, now orange, for it must be day, and squeezed herself through the little earthen tunnel she found there. Once she was free from the earth, she bolted out of the snow, her wings carrying her up and up and into the air. Meanwhile, in the Fairy Kingdom, the Fairy Prince was readying himself. He looked in the mirror a tiny little thing he had stolen from a selfish lady, adorned with jewels and gold and likely to snap in half and close on him at any moment. It was a faulty compact. He liked risking his life while staring into it. While his princess from long ago had the terrible disease of greed for shining things, he had his own ailment and that was danger. Fairies have vices just as we do, but they are not quite so ashamed of indulging in them. He combed out his long mane of gossamer hair. He braided it with quick, deft fingers, long and indeed clawed, just as his gloves would have had his enemies believe. He did not have a beak, but he did have two long, curling horns atop his head. He was beautiful, with eyes the same green as his armor, a thin mouth that gave away his age, despite his smooth, immortal face, because of its cruelty and indifference. But it somehow made him all the more beautiful, that flaw, that rot. The thing he was not telling himself was that he was grieving her loss for the third time. First, when she was lost to the fairy world, seduced by the big world, by the big city. Second, when she had fought against him as he tried to bring her home and fallen into the frigid pond, and he could not find her, though he had searched all night. And third, when he realized that probably no shred of that mischievous, defiant, vexatious creature he had fallen in love with actually remained. Perhaps she had remained a selfish, greedy, and deliberately ignorant human until the moment of her inevitable demise. That is what hurt him the most. He was not admitting any of this to himself. He was a fool for trying to find her and bring her back in the first place. But no matter how he tried to numb himself to this grief, it burned. It raged. It ached in every one of his fine muscles. He placed his helmet on his head, flew up, and with a great strike from his nimble arms, he slammed the compact's lid shut so hard ...that he heard the mirror shattering within it. No! He heard behind him... ...a familiar voice. That was my favorite one. He whirled around... ...and saw her. His palace was made of fine spiderweb... ...intricately knit together in lovely, ancient patterns... And the web was adorned with little flowers. Little shards of colorful glass harvested from the human world. Little pieces of crystal torn from the earth. It spanned one huge tree's entire network of branches. And all of the fairy kingdom lived here. She had found it so easily. She had remembered all of it. The last time she was here, she had been young, adventurous, naive, and dressed resplendently in silver fairy finery. But here she was now, mature, hardened, just as her prince was, in spirit if not in form, for she realized now that she too was immortal eyes haunted and a little frenzied from a night underground, enduring the worst pain of her life for hours and hours and hours. She hovered off the ground as he did, her wings beating their strange rhythm, still getting used to them, newborn as they were. Her blood still poured forth from her back, down her legs, down her toes, dripping wherever she went. Her mouth was not like his. It did not give away her age with sternness, cruelty, or grief. She smiled, and she looked childlike in her glee. I was born from the heart of a flower, she said, as though telling him the story of her life to make it true once more. And here in the Fairy Kingdom I grew. Here in the Fairy Kingdom I grew to love all that glittered. But more than that, I grew to love to trick foolish humans from their silly things. Things, 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 shiny or dull, paper or coin, things only. I got lost, lost, lost in all those things. My love. He stood across from her, shaking and in awe of this monstrous form. And because he loved danger, he was never more in love with her. I tried to bring you back. I thought I'd lost you. He whispered. You were wrong to undo my choice. She snapped at him, face flashing in rage for a moment, then subsiding once more to calm mischief. But look at what an adventure it gave me. She considered going back. Her heart ached at the thought of all those riches, all those gems, all those silks. Paintings, treasures, horses, etc., etc., etc. in her home. Her huge estate she had spent so much money on. So much money. But she found she did not want it. The joy was in the taking, the conniving, the fighting, and the clawing. She had forgotten that. Though it took a good deal of effort and her entire body... She took a quill and a little ink made of charcoal one night, and with the help of her fairy prince, she wrote a letter in her hand to all who worked under her roof. The house is yours now. Do with it what you will. But just know that there is trouble here, within the walls. That is the price. She signed her name, and with her love, both of them in green and black armor to shield them from the winter wind, they returned to her house one last time. They left the letter in the housekeeper's chamber in the dead of night, an older woman, wise in the ways of the Fae. The ex-mistress of the house had never known that, of course, but now that she was one once more, she noticed all the signs. The little window sill offerings. The right flowers in the right places. The iron horseshoe above her bedroom door. They left the letter with her. And when she found it, she looked around, frightened, not knowing how her mistress had come in and out of here as she slept. Then her breath caught in her throat as the two candles lit on either side of the room went out, both at once, and she heard the strangest kind of humming, a vibrating sound, and the dragging of a pen against paper. Then it stopped, and she heard the wings grow louder, Then little echoing sounds of faint laughter as something went out the open window. (laughs) She fumbled with shaking hands to light her candle once more, tears stinging her old eyes as she feared for her life. She had always been told to beware the Fae. When she had light with her once more, she looked at the letter again, and a little postscript had been added. You were all very excellent, by the way. That was all it said. She had finally noticed. You see... She would often come back to play little pranks on the staff. She grew to love them because she loved tricks so very much. They finally had leisure and wealth on their side, and they appreciated it so much more than she ever did. But then again, she was a born fairy princess. She was destined to cause trouble. She loved it. And her prince forgave her in time. And together, They played with mortals and creatures and the elements for their own amusement until the end of time. I saw them a few minutes ago, buzzing about. They've tried to play tricks on me, too. I think they might not like that I enjoy playing them back. I don't think they know what I am. How could they, when I don't even know? I'll leave them a little honey in case they need some strength for the return home. After all, her story of finding herself again makes me feel a little more... calm. A little more prepared to ask myself, why did I start this in the first place? What is it that drove me to telling shadowy stories in the dead of night? What do I continue to love about speaking with you? With these trees, with the ghosts who dwell around them. What is my terrible and beloved longing? She loved troublemaking. He loved adventure. What do I love? Maybe I'll have an answer next time. Sweet dreams, my friends. Dream of your own fairy wings. Good night. everybody, this is Kristen Saza here, your writer, host, narrator, composer, all the voices, editor, podcaster, etc. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 179 of On a Dark Cold Night. We're getting closer and closer to 200, aren't we? I hope you're doing okay out there, hanging in there, getting lots of rest and doing things that you love. Giving yourself little decadent gifts. I'd like to take a moment to chat with you about a brand new show premiering on the Sonar Network on January 26th called Quantum. In a world where pet robots run our lives, a simple mission to find a spare part ends in a tinkerer uncovering a secret that could blow up the whole damn planet. Quantum, that's K-W-A-N-T-U-M, is a new near-future fiction podcast that I'm really excited to tune into. It's a sci-fi comedy caper audio drama, serialized and told over six episodes. It features a diverse cast of 13 talented Toronto performers. The show is silly, irreverent, imaginative, futuristic, high stakes, and heartfelt. And that just sounds like a whole lot of what I need right now. So if you're here, I imagine you're a fan of fiction podcasts. So after you listen to this episode tonight... Have yourself a lovely rest and wake up with Quantum's high-energy hijinks. Again, the show premieres January 26th, which is incidentally the day this episode is released, so you can and absolutely should go check it out. You can find it at com or on your favorite podcast app just by searching Quantum, K-W-A-N-T-U-M. Thank you so much, friends. Next up, I'd like to send my thanks to everyone who supports On a Dark Cold Night on Patreon. I'm so grateful for my patron support. Thank you, my friends. Through Patreon, every supporter of $1 or more a month receives access to my ever-growing soundtrack, and every supporter of $5 or more a month gets that, as well as a monthly tarot reading video I post on the full moon. To learn more about these perks and helping the show through Patreon, visit patreon.com darkcoldnight. If you'd like to support in a one-time way that doesn't involve those perks, but does include an on-air and social media shout-out, you can buy me one or more metaphorical coffees at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And finally, I have wearable merch available at bonfire.com on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also love, love, love if you left me a review and a rating. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, my Facebook page, or wherever else you like. You can follow me on social media on Twitter at a night, Instagram at Dark Cold night podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube pages just called On a Dark Cold Night. You can also find me on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. Thank you so much, my friends. I hope you enjoyed my little Thumbelina variation. I also hope you have a good sleep. And if you feel a little lost, like I do, I hope you find yourself again soon. Foolish statement as that is, I asked it, and I'm processing it. But sometimes I think there is a lot of fun to be had in the finding, anyway. With that wish, I'll say one last time for tonight Good night, my friends.